This is Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault presented by Blinzall. If you're in the market for some high-quality racing oil for your two-stroke or four, make sure you go to blinzall.com and use our discount code VAULT20 to save 20% at checkout. Thank you for all the support. Hello and welcome back to the Motocross Vault. My name is Tony Blazer and what this video is going to cover is another look back at one of my classic magazines. This time I thought we'd mix it up a little bit and take a look at uh, one of my classic ATV magazines. I know it, within the motocross industry and within motocross fans there's a lot of hate towards the ATVs. People call them couches and what have you. I'm not really that way. I'm more agnostic. Any kind of off-road vehicle I'm pretty, pretty down for. Uh, ATVs in particular, I've had several high-performance ATVs, some play ones, uh, even one utility. I love them. They're great for what they're uh, designed for. I've never been a motocross guy on an ATV. The thought of jumping one way up in the air always sketches me out a little bit. The wheelbase is so short, and if you get it just wrong, it's the thought of getting pounded into the ground always terrifies the crap out of me. But in the woods, I always use them as trail machines. I love them for that. They're super fun. Um, I, I wouldn't mind taking one out on a motocross track. I never actually did um, that I can remember. Actually, maybe one time I took a, I had a 300EX I took out one time, which was completely a trail bike, and that was a terrible idea. But in any case, ATVs, I love them. They're a lot of fun. Um, I, I have no hate for them. And I have a huge, I've always been a huge fan of Dirt Wheels Magazine. Kind of bummed out that the current UTV craze has really kind of drowned out all the high-performance ATVs for the most part. The UTV thing has never really got to me. I, like, I love the like, idea of an Odyssey or a Pilot or something that's a single-person thing, but I don't really want to... I don't really want to pack four people in the darn thing. I have, I actually have a Jeep Wrangler. If I wanted to do that, I suppose I could do that. But in any case, I've never really been into that so much. But the golden age of ATVs in the 80s, um, I love that. I used to read all these magazines. Uh, I subscribed to them for many years. And I thought it'd be fun to look back at one of these. I know, again, this may not be everybody's cup of tea. So uh, if you're just like an ATV hater, maybe this is not the video for you. But I think there's a lot of us out there that uh, love them all. You know, like I said, I'm open to everything as far as the off-road vehicles go. So what this issue is going to be is the May 1986 issue of Dirt Wheels. Uh, great issue. Uh, has a, a lot of really cool machines in it. And I said, this is really the golden era of ATVs. Um, this is when the four-wheelers were just kind of coming into uh, their preeminence. But you still had three-wheelers in the pipeline. This is a year or so away from the unfortunate banning of three-wheelers. So kind of a really cool transition era. A great year for the sport. Great year for dirt wheels. I have a huge collection. You see magazines back here. I don't have nearly as many ATV magazines as I do the uh, motocross ones. I, I loved ATVs. And again, I collected a, a lot of the magazines subscribed during the 80s and 90s, but I, I didn't have the same breadth of uh, magazine collection. I only really ever subscribed to Dirt Wheels. I didn't do three and four wheel ATV action or any other offshoots there. So I only have a few of those issues, but um, when I try to go back now and get them, for some reason, they are like four or five times more expensive than motocross action. It's weird. If I'm missing a, you know, a dirt rider or dirt wheels or I mean, I'm sorry, a dirt rider or a dirt bike or something, I can usually find that on eBay, you know, usually for like 20 bucks or less. There's enough amount there that they're not stupid. But a lot of these issues from the 80s and early 90s that I'd like to pick up, they're like 50 bucks an issue. And I don't know why. I'm not sure it's because there's fewer of them out there. Uh, a couple of the, the guys who have them don't want to part with them. I don't know. Kind of bums me out because I'd like to have more of these issues to use for the articles. I'd like to write some more stuff about them, but it's I need the you know the magazines and the pictures and all that stuff to kind of make that happen. So, in any case, if you like this, let me know. I might do some more. Um, I have I do have some other ATV ones as well. A lot of from this era, the you know the 80s and 90s and stuff to cover. Um, I also going to do uh, some more some other magazines that are bike dirt wheels and stuff. Uh, all, all I have I have a great collection as you can see. So over time we'll go through these. I think the last one I did I just did one on uh, September of uh, 85 
for uh, motocross action a couple weeks ago and that seemed to get a lot of response people really dug it so uh, if you continue liking these i'll do more of them so if you'd like to support the channel i just came out with some cool motocross vault merch i'm wearing one of the shirts right now for my project 90 I've made one here with uh, a tribute to Bob Hanna's 1979 OW40 works bike. I've done one based on kind of Mark Barnett's 81 RM125. I've also done a 1996 Bradshaw design. I'm working on a, a one that's based on an evolution of Suzuki's RMs over the years. Got a lot of great ideas I think I'm working on, and I hope they come together. Uh, and again, if you'd like to support the channel, if you'd uh, take a look at some of the merch on the uh, Teespring store for the motocross vault, I would very much appreciate it. If you could share and subscribe this on social media, I would really appreciate that as well. Help grow the channel. Uh, we've doing, uh, I get a lot of great interaction here. I appreciate all the comments. I read all the comments, try to respond. So feel free to drop me a comment here or on Instagram or Twitter. There the handle is at Tony Blazer, T-O-N-Y-B-L-A-Z-I-E-R. Uh, so here is the uh, May 1986 issue of Dirt Wheels. All right, so here on the cover, we have a lot of ATV goodness. You have a little preview of the new Kawasaki Mojave. This is a quad that I actually did own one of. Um, I had the Mojave. It was an interesting quad. It used a version of the like dual sport KLR 250 motor. Uh, and I actually had a 250X as well in 1987. And these two machines, even though they competed together, were very different. Uh, very different machines. The Mojave used liquid cooling. And it was like a super high revving, I mean, relatively speaking, uh, high RPM motor. Like to rev, didn't have a lot of torque, and the uh, 250X ran exactly the opposite, where it didn't rev at all. It had great torque down low. I, I never really felt comfortable in the Mojave. It was, like I said, uh, I used it as a woods machine, and uh, compared to my 250X, I always thought it was kind of strange. You had to rev the guts out of it everywhere, but it was a neat machine once upon a time. And it basically stayed in the Kawasaki lineup, I don't know, for 15 years with nothing more than cosmetic updates, so I guess they sold a fair amount of them. Uh, you have the new 250R. Uh, four tracks Honda. Honda was coming out with their four tracks here in '86, kind of what would replace the uh, ATC 250R, their usually successful three wheeler. Uh, and this machine was very successful on the track, probably the most successful ATV of all times in terms of racing. Uh, that basically, after Honda only built this machine for uh, four years, I think, and then uh, everybody raced it for another 12 or 13 after that because uh, you know the high performance ATVs went away. And this was always kind of the, the preferred machine over the quad racer, even though the quad racer was uh, produced longer. You have a great shootout here with the ATV three-wheelers this year. Uh, love the three-wheelers. I love reading about them. I, I never actually owned one myself. Uh, my brother-in-law was big into three-wheelers. He had uh, many of them over the years, and I certainly rode them, but uh, I always felt kind of uncomfortable. I love the look at them, though. They're neat, and I always enjoyed reading about them. Uh, we have the, the all-new Yamaha Warrior, another ATV I had once upon a time. Uh, never liked this bike nearly as much as the 250X. It felt, to me at least, it felt very heavy and kind of cumbersome. I know there's a lot of people who love them. I like the looks, this, especially this first one with the headlights up on the front. It's a really cool-looking quad, uh, but it wasn't my favorite one I owned. And then you have a couple of little uh, foof machines here we'll get into later, the 200s at the time. Uh, these were popular entry-level ATVs, and uh, certainly I'm sure Honda and Yamaha sold a ton of them. Here on the table of contents here, you get a look at some of the stuff we're going to cover in the magazine. On page three, we have an ad for Honda's all-new 1986 TRX 250R 4-Tracks. As I said, this is the first year for the 4-Tracks. Uh, this is another ATV I had. As I said, I've had many. I had actually had the 87 version, which is, I think, virtually identical. I don't think there's any real difference between the 86 and 87. 88 was the, uh, the first and only redesign of this model. I love the looks of this bike. Holy crap. There's this red, white, and blue, whether it's the CRs, the XRs, 
Um, this mid-80s look, I just love it. The gold rims, the whole thing is ju it's just a drop-dead, gorgeous-looking ATV. Love it. And um, I had mine in the early 2000s, and it was in this, this kind of shape. It looked just like this. It was OEM condition, phenomenal. Uh, the guy who had it for me took such great care of it. Still had the original tires on it. It was just one of these incredible finds. Um, and I enjoyed riding it. It was a lot of fun. Now, again, as I said earlier, most of my riding was um, off-road in the woods. I, I never took it out on a track. I, I had I had motocross bikes for track use. I had no real interest in motocrossing an ATV, uh, but I loved riding them in the woods. I, my parents have like 30 acres, and I had a huge trail system out there, and we, we rode our, um, you know, I, I've always ridden like half off-road, half motocross, and even my motocross track in the backyard was in the woods. So I've always been, um, you know, very comfortable in that environment. And this bike was super fun out in the open. It wasn't the best trail bike in stock condition. The motor uh, didn't have a ton of torque compared to like a four-stroke. And that's why I always kind of gravitated more to like the um, the 250X or the 300EX. I had one of those later. And it ended up, I actually ended up selling this bike in, I don't know, 04 I sold this quad. Uh, for like 4500 bucks, which I don't know, you probably get twice that now for it if in the condition I had it. I ended up buying a brand new uh, Suzuki, just came out with their um, LTZ, LTZ 400, Z400, I guess it was called, um, the Quad Sport. And uh, I bought that and it was, I love that machine. It was way better for what I was doing at the time, even though in hindsight, keeping this 250R would have been a way better investment. Here on the next page, we have an ad for Griffin Helmets. Never had a Griffin helmet. These always look kind of cheeseball to me. I imagine they probably sold a fair amount of them, but I was uh, never lucky enough to have one. You know, it's funny, this one, this GX707, is clearly like a Moto4 knockoff. I mean, it has a Moto4 visor, basically. They straight up copied it. It looks just like Rick Johnson's helmet, but uh, with a much less attractive um, mouthpiece. I'm surprised that uh, they got away with making such a blatant copy of uh, Bell's design there. On the next page, we have a list of who's running that magazine. Uh, Joe Colombero was the editor at this time. I, I remember him from Dirt Bike and Dirt Wheels, the video. I have that on my uh, channel. Actually, my other channel, Motocross Vault, the Race Vault, if you'd like to check that out. It was a great video. came out in, I think, maybe 87 or so. Really cool video showing um, a lot of classic bikes at the time, riding off-road, uh, ATVs as well. And Joe Colombero was in that video. He hosts essentially the ATV section. And also, um, he used to do segments on Motor World, too, which was pretty cool. Here on page 8, we have Columbaro's wide-open column. I've never been a giant fan of these columns. I, I usually don't read them. Uh, I never Actually, I don't remember ever reading this one. I just went over it a little bit here is where, uh, before I was going over this magazine, and he's talking about some guy, Greg Hunsacker, who crashes all the time. I never really found much of interest in these columns, as whether it's be this or you know Jody, Jody Weissel's column. Uh, there was usually... They're usually telling some anecdote or some... I don't even know if this guy even exists. Usually it's just some fictional guy, I think. <laughs> They're talking about crashing. Uh, never was particularly interested in these columns. Uh, on the next page uh, here, we have a ad for Sidewinder's Sprockets. Back in the 80s, man, Sidewinder was the shiznit. It, it was the uh, pretty much the acknowledged leader in terms of quality. Their chains always got like the best ratings in the magazines. Uh, they had this cool kind of a double-cross sprocket you see here at the bottom right that allowed you to uh, change the chain, uh, the sprocket out without actually taking uh, the wheel off your motorcycle, or in this case, ATV. I, I understand that they weren't reliable is why they didn't catch on. They apparently had some failure problems with them. Neat idea, though. It would definitely save you a lot of time if you had to switch gearing real quickly. But they these would come in. They had anodized colors you could get them in. They were really ahead of their time. You see these grooves here uh, made to 
in theory, at least allow mud to get through. I think it was more cosmetic. I don't know that it actually did anything. In fact, I, I remember reading at one point that uh, one of the people at Renthal said it actually made it. I think it was Renthal said that it actually made the sprocket less strong, but it was a good marketing move. These these sprockets here, uh, you know, Renthal, all of them eventually copied that. So whether it was effective or it was just clever marketing, I don't know. But so I wonder was, you know, in the days before Renthal sprockets were big and Answer and all these other companies were really pushing them. Uh, so I wonder was the king and pretty much in all these magazines. All right, on page 10, we have the Over the Bars segment where they cover some happenings in the sport each month. This one is talking about the new Fortrax 250R winning the Parker 400, which was an off-road machine, off-road, uh, uh, it looks like a hare and hound kind of thing. Um, you can see the 250Rs here. Uh, they actually took this event, and they were really the most successful ATV, high-performance ATV of all time. They won in motocross. They won off-road. They were just great machines. They still are. Really cool quads. Uh, yeah, see here on the right, some guy has taken one of the uh, three and four wheel conversions and made his uh, 250R three wheeler into a quad. I'm sure that probably helps stability. I always wondered how, I mean, the, the three wheeler's geometry was never designed for this conversion. So I, I always wondered, you see people that now that turn, you know, bikes into three wheelers and stuff. And I'm like, how does that thing handle? Because it was never designed to do that, but people are pretty clever. You could get one of these conversion kits, I think from most uh, most three-wheelers at the time, it, it certainly looked cobby, but I suppose it, you know, maybe, maybe it handled better. I don't know. I never rode one myself. On the next page, you have an ad for JT Racing starring Brock Glover on a Moto 4, which is about the cheeseballiest looking quad you could get. And uh, I'm not sure that pink gear goes great with that blue, goofy looking Moto 4. But the helmets, the um, ALS 2s are badass and JT Racing was kicking ass. So I suppose Brock was a cool dude and he could pull off riding a Moto 4 in his pink gear. On the next page, we have an ad for the all-new uh, Warrior. I mentioned on the cover, again, great-looking machine. Uh, the The fact that it had an electric start was a big deal at the time. I My first uh, 250X I had, my Honda did not have. It was a kickstart, and man, four strokes, when they get hot, they can be a bitch to start. And uh, especially if you had to pull start them and stuff, it can be a nightmare. So it was really nice that they added the uh, electric start to this Warrior. Again, super popular machine in Yamaha's lineup for many years. Great looking quad. I just, uh, when I had mine, I, I just didn't feel comfortable on it. But uh, that was maybe just me. On the next page, you have an ad for Hallman USA. Now, Hallman USA is the current Thor. Uh, Thor, if you don't know, stands for Torsten Hallman Original Racewear. Torsten Hallman was a huge star in the 60s and uh, early 70s, Swedish motocross champion. Uh, the guy who started Hallman and started the eventual Thor. The great, great uh, ambassador of the sport for many years. One of the pioneers of bringing motocross here to the U.S. This is some pretty good-looking stuff, actually. This Hallman gear does not look bad. Some of the early Hallman stuff was pretty hideous. And this 85 stuff actually is not bad. The boots are good looking. Kind of looks like a JT Racing knockoff on the chest protector. Uh, I actually like this ad. I like the quad racers. Great looking. And I love the days where, you know, the people were color coded the gear. And uh, both of these gear sets go real great with these uh, really handsome ATVs. On the next page, we have a continuation of the Over the Bars uh, section. Uh, we talks about the new Mojaves. I mentioned earlier, I had one of these Mojaves. I always thought the front fenders looked cheese ball they kind of droop down and uh it was just a less elegant looking machine um than the 250x which i thought was a much better looking machine and pretty much all the honda 250r certainly uh below you have the new whole new honda fat cat uh, another machine i had as i said i've had many uh atvs dirt bikes and what have you and this is a weird kind of a combination atv dirt bike uh my next door neighbor at the time in point rocks maryland had a the yamaha version the 85 bw 200 and i rode it and i thought this is fun it was a cool little trail bike 
And I said, when Honda came out with this one, I was like, oh, I'll get this. We'll play with them and I'll one-up them because this one had electric starting and a monoshock. And on paper, it looked it looked badass, I thought, at the time. I mean, I was, what, 16 or 17? And I thought it was a cool machine from the day I bought it brand new. It was the first brand new machine I've ever owned. My mom co-signed for me on it. I hated it. As soon as I bought it, we took a trail ride that first day, and I was like, this is a terrible mistake. Had an auto clutch, which really neutered the power. The power was weak to begin with, and that auto clutch really kind of killed it. And the the bike just handled terribly. Um, I never felt comfortable on it. I sold it about six months later and uh, sold it for like half what I paid for it. I sold it for $700 in 1987. And uh, now I probably could get, I don't know, three grand or something stupid. Because for some some odd reason, uh, people love these things. So God bless them if they ride them now. I, I, I hated mine. In the letter section, we have some people writing letters. I never really read this very much. Don't really care to read it now. Uh, we have an ad on the next page for uh, the, the new Kahin flat slide carburetors. Now, uh, this was the hot setup in the mid-80s. Uh, this new Kahin flat slide PJ was an awesome carburetor. Um, at the time, a lot of people swapped these over from uh, machines like the Yamahas that used McCunies. I always hated the, the McCunies at this time. A lot of them didn't have like an idle circuit. Three or four uh, little Phillips head screws. It was just a pain in the ass to work on these damn things. And uh, this Kahin had a, even though it was a flat slide, they'd figured out a way to have a, a twist off cap, which made it super easy to take apart if you had to uh, mess with the jetting on it. It also had a um, idle circuit built into it, and the idle circuit was so easy, you just twisted the, the choke knob to adjust the idle. It was by far the most user-friendly carburetor if you actually had to do something to the carb. Now, if you had a bike that jetted perfect, you never had to mess with it, um, I guess you didn't notice it. But in those days, you know, days for fuel injection, if, you know, in the wintertime and summertime, you know, I rode, I live in the East Coast, so the weather changes quite a bit from season to season, and you'd have to rejet your bike and kind of play with the jetting. And, you know, 125s and what have you at the time, were, you know, pretty much any bike was kind of finicky. So it was pretty common for you to have to go back and uh, mess with that stuff. And this carburetor was a, a really nice performance upgrade. And, and standard equipment, I think, starting in 85 on the Honda CRs going forward there for many years. Uh, they used it up until, I don't know, probably the late 90s is when they first started kind of phasing these out. But they, it was a real popular upgrade for many, many years. Uh, and DG was, you know, a super popular off-road and ATV equipment supplier aftermarket stuff in the 80s. They were a major player, major sponsor of motocross, too, in the 70s. They had sponsored uh, Bob Hannon and many other riders as well. On the next page here, we get after the DG ad, um, we have some more uh, people writing into the magazine, an ad for CycleWorks, which is, a, I guess, a Canadian brand. I don't re Actually, I don't really remember CycleWorks at all. Maybe Mathis ordered something from them once upon a time. On page 23 here, we get an ad for DuraBlue axles. They were a hugely popular upgrade back in the 80s. Still are today. Uh, I think they're still around. So uh, I know um, if you were going to ride your ATV on a motocross track, you're probably going to want to upgrade the axles, DuraBlue axles. A buddy of mine took his quad sport out on a motocross track and immediately bent the axle. They weren't really, sometimes the stock, particularly off-road ones, weren't really made for that kind of pounding. So... If you were going to, you know, put your, your ATV through the paces on a demanding circuit, you're probably going to want to upgrade the axle, just have it last a little longer. In the hot stuff section here, you have some cool stuff, uh, some Kraus racing sidewinder sprockets, including that uh, split one over here to the left. Complete guide to karting. Uh, never did karting. I always thought go-karts were fun, but I never had an opportunity to ride one around a track or anything. It'd be pretty fun, I would imagine. Uh, a little Nerf bar at the lower left. Uh, those were designed to keep, if you're not familiar with Nerf bars, what they did was they're designed to keep the other guy's uh, wheel from getting tangled up with yours. 
uh, inside and basically protect your legs too. In an ATV race, you wouldn't want somebody's rear wheel to get up and uh, chew your leg up. Uh, O'Neill's belt, uh, some stuff to, I guess, uh, fix a flat kind of a can here. Uh, nothing super exciting on this page, to be honest. On the next page here, on page 26, we get some information on the new high-tech, high-performance Warrior, which, again, was big news at the time. Uh, this was the first kind of a competition to the 350X. Prior to this, the 350X, which was a three-wheeler from Honda, was the most high-performance four-stroke you could buy. And this was really the first of the uh, quad versions that were, you know, a big bore. Uh, Suzuki had maybe 85, I think they'd come out with their quad sport, which was a 230. Real fun machine, actually. A, a good friend of mine had one of those. I enjoyed riding it, but uh, the Warrior was a bigger, heavier, more substantial machine, and uh, I think it was hugely popular for Yamaha. Starting on page 28 here, we get the high performance ATC or three wheeler shootout uh, for 1986. It's interesting to see how diverse these machines are. They're certainly more different than what you would have found in a uh, 250 motocross shootout. Uh, the bikes had, or the trikes had, much more uh, different focuses, I guess. The only one that was all new for 1986 was the Kawasaki. It had a major redesign this year, had uh, a very powerful engine. It was the only engine in the class that had a power valve on it, had the KIPP system. It was, you know, essentially a hot rod version of a, a KX250 motor designed for ATV use. The Honda did not have a power valve, nor did the Yamaha in 1986. Uh, Honda had come out with their first 250R in 1981. It had pretty much been the king of the class since then, even though uh, once Kawasaki introduced the Ducati, I think in 84, if I remember right, uh, it was the pretty much the most powerful machine, but didn't always handle the best. And that's basically what it comes down to here in uh, 1986 as well, uh, the the Yamaha is the best bike, they say, for novices. If you look at it, it has uh, the tallest tires, had more of a balloony rear tire, had a longer wheelbase. It was it had a six-speed transmission. It was more well-suited for off-road use. Uh, it was more stable, but didn't turn as well. It was more prone to tipping and the turns, and it uh, wasn't the best machine for track use. Interestingly, in order to keep the center of gravity low on this uh, Tri-Z, the tank actually was stored under the seat, which is interesting. Uh, it's something that the others didn't do, and you'd think something as tippy as a three-wheeler, the low center of gravity would be even more important, but it didn't really translate to uh, handling on the track. The, the Tri-Z was uh, the most sedate. Uh, Turner, certainly um, not the most race-ready of the three. Uh, the Kawasaki was very race-ready. It had a more powerful engine, but it vibrated more. The suspension wasn't quite as good as the Honda. Uh, it lacked uh, a gear that the Honda had. It was only a five-speed transmission. It was more or less, like I said, a motocross-style power band. I don't think it had a counterbalancer. The Honda had that to make it much smoother. It just was uh, more of a serious kind of a race-ready machine. And uh, the Honda was really the, the winner of the shootout based on the fact it was a jack-of-all-trades. It had the best suspension. The engine kind of split the two. It had grunt like the Yamaha and really good mid-range. Didn't pull as far on top. The Kawasaki, again, was by far the most powerful on top end, but it wasn't quite as versatile for everyday use. If you were really going to just do track work, though, the Kawasaki was a uh, really, really great choice this year. Uh, you can see they didn't have the quad racer in here. They didn't include that. It is interesting to me that Suzuki never they never introduced a, a high-performance three-wheeler. I guess maybe they either they thought the quad was going to be the future. Uh, they were the first one to come out with a quad. It was a small little play-by-quad quad first before the quad racer. But um, they never really played in this uh, three-wheeler game. And uh, before it got any farther, this was really the last generation you would have seen for any of these machines. Uh, Yamaha did not make a Tri-Z in 19... Uh, 87, nor did Honda. Uh, Kawasaki was the only one making, they made the Takati. 87 was the last year for the original Takati three-wheeler. It was the last breed of the high-performance uh, three-wheelers available. And uh, it was, it's still a popular machine now. You know, guys, guys have them, collectors have them. 
Problem is Kawasaki, the plastic was notoriously cheeseball on these things. They, they it was very brittle, easy to break, and uh, it's, I'm sure it's hard to find parts for these things at this point. But uh, cool machines. I uh, like I said, my um, my stepbrother had a, a 250R, had the 86 one, I guess. Or this one, it was a cool machine. I I, uh, I never felt particularly comfortable on it. Like I said, they were very tippy. I crashed so many three-wheelers in my life. Uh, every time I got on one, I pretty much was in danger of killing myself. So I love to look at them from afar, but uh, I did, I never really uh, appreciated it in the same way. In fact, he he had a, a 350X as well that his daughter, uh, my niece, has and races it today, uh, Sam Flack. She actually races that original 350X still to this day, so it's pretty cool. All right, on the next page here, we have a ad for Phase 5 Racing. Uh, I got to be honest, I don't remember Phase 5 Racing. Uh, that silencer down there at the bottom looks like a Cobra exhaust. I'm not sure if it's a rebranded one or if they are selling their own stuff. I don't know if they're still around. Honest to gosh, I don't know anything about Phase 5. On the page 38, uh, we get a look at where to ride in Wisconsin. Uh, never been up to Wisconsin. I'm sure there's a lot of great places to ride, particularly ATVs are probably great to have up that way because you get a lot of snow in the winter, and ATVs are super fun. If you've never ridden an ATV in the snow, it is literally one of the most fun things you can do uh, off-road. They are super fun in the snow. I always love that in the wintertime. It was uh, one of my favorite pastimes for sure. On the next page, we have an ad for uh, High Point's boots those high point super victory boots are still coveted to this day they're super cool i believe all these are actually alpine stars that high point was sold under their brand some of them you can still see they do have alpine stars here as well and uh, they have the vented version which is something that was big in the mid 80s i think i think axo actually had a version of these as well a couple of brands did the vented thing uh, i never got to try any i always thought it was kind of strange because the first time you go through a mud puddle now you have uh, mud packed in your vents but Maybe that's why I didn't catch on. I don't know. $199. They're pretty expensive, too. That's probably like a $600 boot or maybe even more today if you adjust for inflation. So uh, I'll, I'll go for a set of the Super Victories, but uh, you can keep the Vinti actions to yourself, in my opinion. Starting here on page 40, we have a shootout between Honda's new uh, 200SX Quad and Yamaha's Moto4. I actually never have ridden the Moto4. I always thought these things looked really bizarre to me because it really looks like they took a tri-moto three-wheeler and just stuck one of those three by four kits on the front if you look at the front here it's it clearly looks like the three-wheeler bodywork with a rack and some uh, wheels tacked on so i thought it looked cheeseball as hell personally the 200sx looks a lot better neither one of these machines are high performance though um, another neighbor of mine had the 200sx uh, when i had my yamaha blaster in 1988 and um, it was a much less peppy machine it had a version i think an engine similar to my fat cat uh, kind of very similar top end anyway. And the motor was pretty decent. I mean, it's none of these quads are fast by any means. But um, the real thing that was terrible about it was the suspension. I remember if you hit anything on that thing, it would just like knock your uh, fillings out of your teeth, uh, much like the Fat Cat. <laughs> and uh, that's basically what it comes down to in this shootout. The Yamaha has uh, not quite as much power. Uh, it's uh, 30 pounds heavier, maybe something to do with the fact it has racks on it. It seems to be a little more utilitarian in terms of its design. The Honda has way worse suspension. It's just like I said, that thing was terrible. It was better than no suspension. You know, early days of ATVs, uh, three-wheelers had no suspension. So it had a little bit there. But if you hit any kind of uh, whoops or anything at speed, it got super sketchy. The, it was very short wheelbase, kind of like the blaster in this. The blaster didn't have great suspension either, but it was better than this. Um, these were machines that, you know, as long as you kept yourself under control in terms of your expectations, it probably wasn't too bad. But uh, very, very sketchy uh, to, <laughs> to go fast on. Uh, one thing to mention here is this subscription the rate i think currently you can get a subscription to dirt wheels for 
uh, maybe a third or maybe two thirds. Uh, I think it's about nine bucks. So actually, the the subscription, even though adjusted for inflation in today's dollars is probably thirty five dollars or something, now you could get one for like eight bucks, which again is probably why the magazine industry is struggling. In the end, uh, this ATV uh, shootout came down to suspension versus power, and they chose the Honda. It had a little better brakes, it had a front disc, but neither one was great in terms of performance. As long as you kept your expectations low, you'd have fun on one of these quads. But uh, they said it was easier to fix the Honda suspension than it was to try and uh, make the Yamaha lighter and uh, run better. So uh, in the end, that's what it came down to. On page 50, we get uh, a little article on water crossing. Another one of my absolute favorite things to do on an ATV. I've ridden dirt bikes in the water. Like I, my my, prop, my parents' property lines a creek, Tocton Creek, and it's very similar to what you see on the left-hand page here. It's, you know, there's some deep sections, some shallow stuff. Uh, I have sunk many an ATV under the water, which really sucks when that happens. You hit like a uh, they're talking about still water running deep. You have to be careful. I've taken many friends trail riding, and I've seen them uh, go right in front of me and bob under the water, the ATV and everything down below. So you have to be real careful. But as long as you're confident of where the um, how deep the water is, it's super fun. ATVs, you can take them basically you know, up to the seat. There's snorkels on the intakes, and most of them you can get them really deep. And they're super fun. And if you hop off of like an ATC or something, they actually float. So uh, riding in the water is definitely one of my favorite things. They talk a little bit about uh, the safety, uh, the safe way to do that without sinking your quad and ended up having to drain it out. Like I said, when you do sink them, it sucks because the water gets in everything. Buddy might had um, sunk his big bear and had to, you know, drain all the water out of the tranny and everything. It's a, it's a nightmare if you do sink it, but if you're careful, super fun. We have an ad here on the right on um, page 51 for Clem Research. Uh, Clem was, I don't know if they're still around, but they were a, a big into ATV racing. You know, a lot of people ran their uh, hop-up stuff in the 80s, and it was definitely uh, some popular stuff. Mayor Plastic here on page 52. Uh, Mayor was like, really in the days, in the 80s at this point, they were kind of like the only replacement plastic. The Cherubis did some uh, like generic stuff. They had their like Nost fender on like dirt bikes and stuff, but it wasn't an OEM replacement. So if you wanted a radiator shroud for your YZ, I, I broke one on my 88 YZ, a uh, 125 I had, and I um I didn't want to pay for the OEM one being a kid in high school and cheap. I got the Mare version only to find out, number one, you had to drill your own holes, which sucked royally if you weren't the most industrious type. And the plastic was much thicker, and it wasn't glossy and smooth like current plastic is. It was actually kind of a satin finish, and it was much thicker. Uh, it didn't even, So basically what it meant was when you put the, the shroud on there, there was now a notch where the tank and met the shroud. It stuck out, and it looked cheeseball. It, again, it didn't match. Uh, it didn't look so bad in photos. If you look at photos in magazines with Mayer plastic on it, it doesn't look bad. But if you saw it up close, it didn't look like the OEM stuff. It was kind of kind of crappy. Somewhere, I think in the early 90s, they started doing their plastic different um, and getting it basically like an OEM-style look to it. You had a Goki made an electric starter kit. You have to remember a lot of ATVs were pull start at this point, and that was a massive pain in the butt. Um, I never went with one of these starters myself, but it would have been nice to have. And here's the interesting 3x4 kit here on the right, bottom right, on page 53. As you can see, they stuck it on this 200X, and it looks totally cheeseball. I have no idea if this is, uh, they have had any mechanical failures with them. I don't know how reliable they were. It certainly looked absolutely stupid, but I suppose it, maybe it handled better, maybe? I mean, me personally, I think I'd rather just stick with my 200X and try to watch out for uh, side hills and just not have it look goofy. On the next page, we have a ad for White Brothers. 
White Brothers, certainly one of the powerhouses in off-road suppliers over the years. They had uh, all kinds of great stuff for quads and three-wheelers and dirt bikes, of course. Really, I remember White Brothers came out with the cool carbon fiber exhaust for the early four-strokes. I remember I had my CRF uh, 450. Man, I wanted one so bad. I thought those things were totally badass. Definitely really cool once upon a time. I think Mathis did a podcast with Tom a few years back, and he I think they sold the company in the, I don't know, mid-2000s or so. So I don't know if they're even around under the same... Certainly, if they are, they're not under the same ownership, not the original company that the, the original White Brothers started. But they were a really big uh, performance powerhouse for many, many years. On page 56 and 57, we have a little thing on ramps. This is something that I didn't have the luxury of for many years. We just took a piece of wood and used it. I didn't even have, like, uh, it was a big deal when I finally figured out you could buy that, a little thing you could you could actually uh, attach to the plywood to uh, essentially like a little tongue that would go into your bed. Back in the old days, man, we just literally used a couple of pieces, not plywood, I guess, uh, I don't know, four by six or something, whatever it was, to you know, push the bike up into the back. It was a massive pain. And you had to be careful on these ATVs. You could actually, if you didn't have it uh, strapped on, you could actually kick the ramps out from under you. I've done that before too. And you had to be real careful riding up. So if you had the right tool for the job, it was better. But of course I'm at this point in the mid eighties, I'm a kid in high school and I didn't have the money for anything like that. So we just made do with what we did. Half the time, what we did was just back it up to a hill and uh, try to find a way to use mother nature to get the, uh, the bike or the quad in the, in the truck. So you got to make do with what you have when you don't have much money. On uh, the next page, we have an ad for Goodyear Tires. Uh, I remember when I bought my 78CR, and this is, I think, maybe 85, 86, maybe 86 when I bought it. It had a Goodyear tire on it, and uh, at the time, Goodyear, the only thing I knew about Goodyear tires were they were like the original equipment tire on like the uh, IROC Zs and stuff, and I thought they were super cool, um, and I thought it was kind of neat that I had an Eagle Eagle tire on my, my uh, dirt bike. Uh, at the time, I think the Eagle VRs maybe were the tires that came on, like Corvettes and stuff. I thought that was cool. Um, I never ran a, a Goodyear tire on an ATV. I don't even know if they still make ATV tires. It seems like uh, maybe they kind of got out of dirt bikes and ATVs at some point. Um, they, but I, for, I think for many years there, they were quite uh, quite a player. Uh, you have an ad here on the next page for Bel Ray. I actually never ran Bel Ray oil, although I think the MC1 was very well regarded. On the next page, we have an ad for the new 250R. Uh, touting its win at the Parker 400. Again, amazing quad. Love this thing. Really cool looking machine. Still one of the best looking quads ever produced. Although I will say it doesn't look quite as good with this gigantic uh, marshmallow seat on it, uh, which I understand for desert use, probably a good idea. On the next page, we have an ad for the new hard body Nissan 4x4. In my opinion, the best looking truck Nissan ever produced. I never had one of these trucks personally. My dad bought an Isuzu truck around this era, and uh, I don't think it was as good a truck as this, although he ended up owning it for like 15 years before the frame finally rotted out. But this hard body is really, this and the Pathfinder version, iconic machines, great looking trucks. The 80s are a phenomenal era for little mini pickup trucks. I, I hate that the current trend towards trucks is they're all huge and they're all high off the ground. You can't get like a nice low truck like you could in the 80s. Uh, little low trucks are the the bomb for loading your bike in the back, especially when you're like me and you didn't have a nice ramp. <laughs> it was nice if you could have a low truck. And I always wanted one of these Nissans, but I never had one. I think Nissan sold about four bazillion of them, and that is a technical, technical number, four bazillion. On page 64... We have a little bit of some information about uh, some quad racing in 1986. I remember one of the first quad races I ever saw was um, on a VHS I have of the 1986 Anaheim duel between Rick Johnson and David Bailey, a very famous race. They actually have a quad race in the uh, like in, during the intermission there. They're riding quad racers out there. Now, this is a Suzuki race. 
um, that's at that Anaheim thing put on by Suzuki. There's no ATCs in the race. It's only just quads. This is not on a Supercross track. It's actually uh, apparently kind of like an ultra cross track or a truck track. They did that a lot, I think. They had a lot of these ATV races were not held on motocross style circuits because clearly a Supercross track is not ideal for racing a, a quad or an ATV of any kind, really. I think a lot of times they held them at like ultra crosses and stuff where the jumps were a little more, you know, quad friendly and what have you. I, I, again, I never saw one in person. These early ones, if you see them on VHS, they're not that exciting to me. Now, if you walk, look at current quad racing, you know, some of these guys now, they'll, they'll do almost anything a motocross guy would do. So I'm pretty amazed at what they can accomplish. But in these early days of quad racing, um, it's more like, a lot of times it's more flat track TT style stuff that seems to be the hot setup on ATVs. Here on the left, you have an ad for the dreaded Fat Cat. At least in my opinion, dreaded. This ad suckered me in. Probably one of the reasons I bought the damn thing was this ad. It looks great. And it, I got to be honest, it looks like a thousand percent cooler than the Yamaha BW. The Yamaha BW is totally cobby. It has dual shocks. The bodywork is crappy. It's just not an attractive machine. Honda did a great job of making this look nice in typical Honda fashion. It has that, I mean, it has, look at the seat. It's like a work style seat in this thing. It's like a uh, Bob Hanna's 85 RC 250 that goes all the way up to the tank and it's handsome. There's no doubt about that, but uh, in terms of performance, it was pretty dismal. Here on page 68, we get an ad to turn your 185S into a monoshock. It's pretty crazy the amount of money people spent on turning these foofy three-wheelers into race machines, particularly in the days before uh, the 250R was released in the early 80s. People would take these non-suspended three-wheelers and put a complete frame under them. Uh, this kit here looks like it gives you forks and a monoshock. It's it's insane. I just don't understand why you would take such a silly little play bike and, and try and turn it into something else. But this was a big deal for a while. This is, I guess, this is, if you wanted to race an ATV, this is what you had to do. So this was uh, a kit available to upgrade the suspension on it. Pretty crazy, in my opinion. On the next page, you have an ad for Atsu tires. This was the original OEM equipment on all of Honda's ATVs in the um, 80s. Uh, maybe to this day, I don't know Atsu. I'm not sure. I assume they're still around. Uh, but all like my 250R still had Atsus on. They were kind of an iconic tire for many years. Most of the time, I would usually take the Atsus off. I'd get another set of wheels. And I, me personally, I always ran ITP whole shots. That was always my, my uh, tire of choice. And I put the OEM ones aside. And then uh, when I went to sell it later, I would put them back on just to uh, keep it looking fresh. On page 70 here, you have an ad for Terry Varner Racing, which I believe is still around. Varner Racing was a, another big name you heard about in the 80s in ATV racing. And it looks like Gary Denton was using them at the time. HiQ Products. HiQ uh, was, again, an ad that was commonly seen, uh, kind of like Midwest Action Cycle. You always saw the same players every month in the magazines. They were kind of always there advertising their wares. Uh, don't know if HiQ is still around. I hope so. On the next page, we have an ad for Sand Scorcher. Sand Scorcher, don't know much about them. Again, I was never into ATV racing per se, so I, I didn't get a whole lot of the stuff. If I ever got any upgraded stuff, usually I bought it like from DG, like a, a front bumper or something like that. That was always kind of the thing I would usually do, get like Nerf bars or bumpers or something. I never really modified. In fact, I don't think I ever modified the engine on any of my uh, ATVs. The only thing I ever did was I, I did get an exhaust from my blaster. That uh, definitely made a difference. But for the most part, you know, I was looking to trail ride, so I wasn't looking to hop them up crazily. So I didn't spend a lot of spend a lot of money as far as that goes. Maybe a, a set of tires and wheels, like I said, and an exhaust was about the extent of what I would do. Mitchell wheels here on the next page. Again, I usually got wheels because I would I wouldn't want to take the the OEM stuff off. I would get a whole set of wheels and tires, and uh, you know, look for a deal from like a, you know ATV one of the ATV off road. Um, aftermarket companies where you could get the wheel and tire deal and probably snatch it up then. So Mitchell wheels, I think they're still around. They certainly were popular at the time uh, in the 80s for sure. 
Here on page 75, we have uh, a guy who's absolutely crazy, who's taken a 1985 CR500, one of the uh, notoriously most powerful brutish machines in history, and uh, turned it into a quad. Now, this is a year or so before the quad racer was introduced. Quad Racer 500, I think, maybe came out in 87, if I remember right. You know, people think of the Quad Racer 500 as being this, like, holy crap machine. I rode one one time. It, the motor was super mellow. It wasn't like, certainly was nothing like a CR500. It probably had literally half the power of a CR500, maybe less. I'm sure you can make it crazy, but I think the engine in that thing was, like, from a dual sport bike in Europe or something. It was certainly no motocross. It wasn't an RM500 engine they stuck in there. So this machine must have been absolutely crazy. It doesn't look like the wheelbase is much shorter. It basically looks like they didn't take a custom frame and stick a CR500 motor in it. They took a CR500 motocross bike and stuck extra wheels on it, which seems really kind of dicey to me because you think about the the seat height on a CR500 is probably a foot higher than what it is on an average quad. It's The, the, the center gravity is going to be way higher. And although this picture here on the left-hand side looks like the quad is pretty low to the ground, so maybe the suspension was super soft so it settled, but I would think that making the thing so tall would make it really dicey. I'm sure the thing was fun in the dunes. You know, the, the certainly the long travel shock would have been great, I suppose. I, although I don't know if maybe they swapped out the shock. It wasn't like the 85 shock was that great to begin with. But this would have been a hell of a machine. I'm sure it was quite a wheelie monster. I, I wouldn't want to ride it personally, but uh, I'm sure some, some people enjoyed it. It's neat. You know, like people even today, like I said, they take 450, like a KX450 and turn it into like a three-wheeler and stuff. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? I, I guess this must be quite a market for this because it's got to be a pretty expensive mod and you see a lot of people doing it, but I never quite understood it. It wasn't really my cup of tea, quite frankly. Uh, but if you get, dig it, you know, good on you. Um, on the next page here, we have an ad for Honda of Ho North Hollywood. Again, all over these magazines of the Times, um, they were also in the motocross mags as well. Uh, this same girl here, I don't know if she's a relative of the guy who owns the place. She's in all these ads as uh, the model here. Certainly a popular aftermarket company. I uh, don't know if they're still around. Hope they are. So awesome. On the next page here, we have an ad for Viper, uh, Viper products. Uh, the only thing I remember about the name Viper is I think they made alarm systems. Now, I'm assuming this is probably not the same company. I don't know. I guess they made all kinds of stuff. There were so many. ATV racing was so big in the 80s, and there's all these companies that are built around them. I wonder how many of them survived the dark days, because not long after this, uh, ATV racing, as far as like OEM support, died out completely. Uh, the 250R went away in 1989. The quad racer ran through maybe 92. And then for basically for five or six years, the only high-performance quad you have available is like the Banshee, which was never really a race machine. It was always kind of this weird, quirky thing where it was good as in the dunes, but the suspension was dicey. Then I'd be low and they're neat, they're neat quads for sure, but they weren't race bikes by any means. So you had the dark days there where everybody is racing uh, 250Rs that are, you know, warmed over and modded all to hell for, you know, pretty much a decade, uh, really until the introduction of the uh, 400EX in like 98, I guess, is when it came out. So I'm not sure how many of these companies survived the dark days, but uh, hope they did. This uh, next page here covers the back issues. I wish to hell I could get some of these back issues now. Uh, like I said, they're uh, I, I actually don't have most of these. It looks like um, I have a few of them, but they're so darn expensive. Like I said, it's going to cost you like 50 bucks for some of these things. These people just want to rape you on eBay and stuff. So it's super bummer. If anybody out there has a bunch of old dirt wheels they want to part with, let me know. I'm happy to buy them at a reasonable price. You have an ad for Pro Honda on page 83. I always ran Honda's gear lube in my Honda's, also HP2. I was a big fan of the HP2 in the 90s. I love the blue bottle and the blue oil was always really cool. On page 84 and 85, we have a test of Honda's ATC125M. 
Now, as I said, my uh, stepbrother was big into three-wheelers. He never had a 125, but he had the 185 and then later the 200 uh, with no suspension. And I hated these three-wheelers so much. I wrecked them constantly. I mean, the first time I got on one, I'd, I'd ridden motocross bike for a while. I'd never ridden a three-wheeler. And I took it up my driveway and I turned the handlebars right, thinking it was going to go right. And it went straight into the woods. I crashed into a log. I just didn't understand the mechanics of how ATV worked. And these really low-powered ones here, they didn't have the power to pitch it sideways. You know, like a 250R, you can clutch it, get the butt of the bike to kind of slide out, and you can turn. These things here, really, you just had to slow down. Uh, the balloony tires didn't slide, and the thing was real tippy. I just thought they were, for me at least, I thought they were death machines. But many, many, many people liked them. The fact that they were so dicey is probably part of what got them, uh, you know, got them banned. But this thing here... I'm sure it was not much of a throw machine. It was probably fun in the snow, going through a creek or something. The fact that they didn't put suspension on these, I always thought was strange. Like, I'm sure it's a, a cost-saving thing, but it had to contribute to the, the lack of safety, the fact that if you just hit something... problem is you're, maybe you're not thinking uh, you're going that fast. You're Sometimes you're on off, riding off-road, you... You hit something you don't expect. You can say, oh, yeah, be careful, but come around a bend or something. There's a log in the trail or something you didn't know was there. You can't always predict, especially, especially off-road. It's not like a road track. You can't know what's going to be on the trail in front of you and stuff. And in a case like that, having no suspension could really backfire on you. So I can see why these things maybe weren't the safest machines, but uh, Honda certainly sold a bazillion of them. On the next few pages, we get some ads for some things I've heard of and some I haven't. Unifilter, certainly heard of them. Um, always been more of a fan of Twin Air, but I know a lot of people have run the uni filters over the years. Uh, you have an ad for MTC Inc. I don't remember MTC Inc. I don't remember anything about them. Uh, looks like they're selling all kinds of uh, kits and seats. Those seats look amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, complete front suspension kit for your non-fork equipped ATC to make it slightly less uh, death uh, death trappy. Um, you have a, a ad for a some kind of a club for your ATC to keep you from stealing it. You have some funnels and a bunch of other things I don't remember. On the next page we have an ad for Dico or Dico. I assume it's Dico. I do remember these. They sold all kinds of wheels and tire packages and looks like trailers and what have you. Another brand that I remember from the 80s, but I'm not sure if they're still around. Stickers, man, oh my god, on page 94, I remember wanting all these stickers. Uh, the, the silly thing, like I had one that said back off on the back of my 250R. There's the no no bull poop there. You could get them for 50 cents each, uh, which was pretty badass back then. Stick them up. These ads were in all the magazines. And, you know, me back then, I had no money for real upgrades. So my answer was to put stickers on there. So I would sticker up. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw my video I have on my channel where I talk a little bit about my 78CR. I must have had 50 stickers on that thing, and there was no rhyme or reason to it. We'd go every every Friday, my buddy Jamie Connor and I, we'd go to Frederick, Maryland, and go to like Dutchess Honda and uh, Fredericktown Yamaha, and we'd go scope out what the new stickers were, because we couldn't afford any real upgrades, but we always had to see if they had any new stickers. So <laughs> that was the teenage me loved the stickers. Article here on the uh, steering stabilizer. Always a good idea on ATVs or motorcycles if you're going to ride them in the desert to have some kind of steering stabilizer on there. I never ran one. I always had the uh, poor man steering stabilizer. My CRs used to head shake like crazy in the early 90s and late 80s. And what we would do is we would uh, cinch the, the triple tree down just enough so you felt a little bit of drag in the front end. It wasn't enough to stop any major oscillation, but it definitely helped a little bit. And that was the poor man steering stabilizer. On this next one, you have the little article on the Golden State series, which had really a huge following in the late 80s. I mean, it's funny. I don't even know if they still hold the Golden State series, but this was like a big deal. All the pro motocrossers, 
ran the Golden State Series, you see guys like Jeff Ward and Rick Johnson, Ron Lachine. It was like a really cool kind of a warm-up series before the Supercross Series started. So you see these guys racing, and there was always coverage of it in the magazines. I always thought it was cool. You can even watch some of these races on uh, TNN. The uh, I think it was the, the Nashville Network is what that stood for. You'd find that their American Sports Cavalcade would have some races on there. And uh, I wish I had more of them. I taped a few off of uh, on my VHS player back in the day, and I wish I had all of them because I'm sure there's some gold there. Uh, but this was a big deal, the Golden State Series, for many years. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, like so many things, maybe it just kind of fell out of favor. On the next page, you have an ad for Dirt Wheels with Bob Hanna on a quad racer. This always makes me think of a few years later than this. You know, McGrath was doing one similarly on the Banshee. And I always thought it was funny. You, again, motocross guys are snobs about ATVs. They hate them. I think some of these guys do enjoy them, though. They're fun. As long as you're reasonable about your expectations of what they can do, they can be a lot of fun. And I always loved uh, I always loved riding them. Bob Hanna here, I thought it was cool that he took the quad racer out when it was new and was ripping around on it. I have no idea if he actually liked it or not. I'm sure Suzuki made him do this. He probably was not super into it, knowing Bob. He's pretty cantankerous. But it's, there's some cool photos of him um, you know, riding this thing around for sure. Here on the next page is one of these daggum McCuny carburetors like I was telling you about with the uh, screw. This thing came apart in multiple. You can see the screws on the side. It came apart in multiple ways. The the slide on the top, the flat slide here, it had to take a screwdriver, a tiny little screwdriver out to get that out. That was a pain. And if you want to disassemble it, it came apart a bunch of different ways. I never liked these carburetors at all. In fact, I hated them. I thought they were a pain to work on. Not my cup of tea for sure. Dennis Kirk on the right here is uh, still around. Dennis Kirk's a great aftermarket provider of equipment and aftermarket stuff. Uh, I always went with Chaparral if I was going to get something. I always thought that uh, Dennis Kirk had a great selection, but they're a little more expensive for some reason. It seemed like Chaparral always offered better deals. Here on pages 102 and 103, we get some more ads. We have an ad for EBC's Dirt Grooved Brake Shoes. Uh, in the days before disc brakes were common, drum brakes were definitely not uh, kind when it came to water crossings and what have you. If you got water in there, I remember one time I was uh, going through the creek of my fat cat. The brakes got wet. I went down the next hill and there literally was no brakes. I mean, zero brakes. Uh, so some of these earlier drums were not, not real uh, awesome when they got wet. And this EBC uh, groove brake shoes are supposed to help a little bit with that. Um, on the next page, we got an ATV uh, ad for Trinity ATV Racing. I don't really remember Trinity at all. Again, don't know if they're around. If they are, that's awesome. On the next page, we have a, an ad for FMF's Power Read Booster. I was, at this time, I always thought, you know, Boys and Reeds were the coolest thing. I thought they'd add like 20% to the power of your machine. Didn't know any better. This looks like it's more like a Reed Stuffer. Kind of like what they, a few years later, were coming out with like with a Rad Valve and stuff. Um, I never actually used one of these products. I don't know. I assume they did something, but I have no personal experience with it. The Plastic Weld, uh, Plasti Weld, I guess, product evaluation. You can see the top. This was, as I said, pretty common to break these giant fenders on ATVs. It was real easy. Particularly Kawasaki's uh, in this era had really brittle plastic. And it was real easy to break them. If you're a guy on a budget like me, yeah, you'd try to repair it. Either with duct tape or something. I've actually used zip ties before. Uh, I broke the fender on my CR250. A buddy, actually, my um, brother-in-law looped it out, broke the fender off uh, almost completely. It was like 70% broken, and we zip-tied it back together because I couldn't afford a new fender at the time. So, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do when you don't have the money for it. Uh, this Crash and Burn video, I actually have a copy of that on VHS. It was a pretty good video, pretty cool. On pages 106, we have an ad for Chaparral Motorsports. Chaparral, probably best known as either an aftermarket um, supplier of all kinds of accessories or the sponsor of Jeremy McGrath during his Supercross championship years in the late 90s on Yamaha. So 
definitely a powerhouse. Uh, I think they're still around and still one of the biggest suppliers of cool aftermarket stuff in uh, Southern California. On this next page here, 10110, we get a, a little blurb on uh, Dan Gannon's Odyssey. Apparently, I think Dan owns a automotive shop of some kind, and he built this Odyssey. Although, I find it interesting that they refer to Odysseys as if they're generic, like a Xerox machine, even though Xerox is a name brand. Uh, you know, you, when you Xerox something, you're really just, it's a photocopier. They're referring to these Odysseys in here as if any kind of a little single-person dune buggy is an Odyssey, when technically Odyssey is a brand name that Honda used on their uh, their version of this little dune buggy. Um, you'll see there's another one later that's clearly not a Honda Odyssey, but they call it an Odyssey. So this one here is not a super high-performance one. Uh, uses some kind of a snowmobile engine. Looks like an Arctic engine, I think, on it. Pretty neat machine. I'm not sure if it was actually better than an Odyssey. It doesn't look particularly advanced or anything, but kind of a neat project for somebody. This next one here, though, on pages 112 and 113, you can see is a pretty serious machine. And I got to be honest, I, I don't know what the landing looks like for this guy, but I, it would be brown trousers time for me to be jumping that thing with, uh, I mean, they say it has six inches of suspension, but that is not much travel to be airing out something that high. I hope he hits some of the backside on it because unlike a motocross bike and these things, you know, you can't use your legs to take that landing. Everything's going to your spine. I, I wonder how many of these guys who raced these damn Odysseys back in the 80s have torn up backs now. It's got to be pretty high, but that is some serious air. This thing here uh, uses a snowmobile engine as well. I guess that was a popular upgrade because you want something with some kind of an automatic transmission. Uh, so it's probably a pretty direct swap. And the snowmobile engines are powerful. There are, a lot of them are twins, uh, big, powerful two-strokes. And uh, it seems like a pretty, certainly more powerful than the 350 single that would have been in a stock Odyssey. But again, they call it an Odyssey, but it's it's clearly not. This is a custom-built 100% machine. I would have called this like a, a dune buggy or something, really, because it's definitely not a Honda. But in any case, neat machines. This kind of Odyssey racing, I guess, was pretty big in the 80s. Uh, I, I don't know if they still have any classes for this. Like I said, it seems like most of the side-by-sides now are, or the UTVs are all side-by-sides. There's not, this, for some reason, this single-person version of it, which is by far the most appealing to me, doesn't seem to be where the market's at these days. Here on the uh, last couple of pages, we get into the showcase section. These are always cool, you know, if you're looking for some uh, aftermarket stuff or if you're looking for like a, I don't know, sometimes you'd be looking for like a junkyard or something, you'd find stuff like that here in the showcase area. Uh, if you need Hoosier tires here. I remember Hoosier came out with some cool tires in the maybe late 80s, early 90s. They were blue. I just thought those were pretty neat. Trimax. Don't remember Trimax. Works Performance. Now, Works Performance stuff I do know. I actually had them build a shock for my 1983 CR480. The stock suspension on those old 480s, pretty grim. And uh, I had them build a shock for it. And it was like night and day better. So much better. So I know a lot of guys run the Works Performance stuff even today. We have some Dirt Wheels stickers. I never had dirt wheel stickers, never really felt the inclination to run dirt wheel stickers, but I suppose, nor a dirt wheel shirt. This, uh, dirt wheel <laughs> I wonder if you got that free. Do you get a dirt, do you have to pay for this or you get it free with a subscription? I don't know. I guess, I guess you could order a dirt wheel shirt and jersey if you wanted to run around with that. I bet they sold about five or six of them probably, I'm thinking. Uh, here on page 122, we have the parting shot, which is always kind of like the ATV version of the Crash and Burns. Uh, this one doesn't appear to be too exciting. It, if anything, it looks to be he's checking the air pressure on his tires what it looks like i don't know what happened here maybe he got flipped over but pretty boring uh pretty boring one there's definitely not one of the best ones here by tom Vini, who was a very famous um motocross and action photographer in the industry in the 80s here on page 123 we have an ad for axo sports super belt which was really their first major product after the boot line uh, Jim uh, Jim Hale had already started Axo Sport USA at this point, and this was kind of their first big hit was this uh, plastic uh, kidney belt when kidney belts were still a thing. 
Uh, Dave Thorpe was a huge GP star at the time, running it here. And uh, I I don't remember if I... I may have had one of these Access Sport belts. Maybe this first version, maybe. I I was always uh, a guy that never really ran kidney belts. I had maybe one or two over the years. I, I never really felt like I needed them, but I know they were popular there in the 80s. And here on the last page, we have an ad for Suzuki's Quad Racer 250, which really one of the most significant machines in ATV history, certainly. This, they were the first one to go with a high-performance four-wheeler and it kind of showed the way forward. Even if even if the uh, government had not banned three-wheelers in the U.S., I think three-wheelers would have been phased out. Maybe by 1988. It might have take a, taken a year or two more for this to happen to any great extent. But once once people tried out the four-wheelers, the three-wheelers, you know, they're fun for what they were, but they just they were so much harder to go fast on in uneven terrain. It just The four-wheelers had an advantage. Even though they were heavier, not quite as fast because of the additional weight, the handling difference was so so hugely apparent right off the bat that even though this first version of the quad racer really wasn't that great of a machine the suspension was mediocre the engine was like a dual sport engine it wasn't particularly powerful if you ever ridden one of these things stock they're not that fast uh but they uh they were a big big improvement in terms of handling and really uh was the the nail in the coffin of the three wheelers whether the government had come down on them or not i think that was going to go that way so uh, certainly one of the most important machines of the era for sure so there you have it. That's our look back at the 1986 May issue of Dirt Wheels Magazine. A great year for off-road, a great year for ATVs. Uh, Three-wheelers were still around. Four-wheelers are just coming on. Just a fun year for off-road and all pretty much motocross, ATVs, everything. Great. I love the 80s. As you can tell, I'm a kid of the 80s. Love that stuff. If you want to read this whole issue, I'm going to post the entire issue in PDF form to our website, which is the motocrossvault.com. You can find it there. You can also find uh, most of these other ones I've done, like the first issue of Dirt Bike and what have you. I've posted those, the first issue of Racer X. I did a video on that. Posted the complete PDF there as well. So if you want to read these at your convenience, you can go back and uh, read them at your own time, or you can follow along as I do in the video. If you like this sort of thing, make sure you uh, like, share, subscribe. I very much appreciate it. If you want to support what I do, uh, you can check out my merch at Teespring. This is my Project 90 version. Like I said, I also have all kinds of stuff for Suzuki. Uh, I did a Bradshaw one uh, based on the 1996 YZ. I really like that one. It's a cool design. I've done a whole lot of stuff. So if you can check it out, I'd appreciate that as well. So thank you for all the support. Appreciate the comments. Appreciate all the support you guys give me out there. So until we meet again, this is Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault. Keep the rubber side down.